I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlet. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supple with us tonight, what do you say? dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and it's for nights like this that hotel bars were specifically developed. And my name is Colin Drucker, and I don't speak English, but I need you to know what's going on. Ooh, <laughs> such a great part. Yes, yes, you know, I love a mom. I love a mom who gets an Act 2 moment. That's true. And that's one of the biggest laughs. And like the little like tableau she holds when she puts the phone down. Because oh, she my knows God. It's get a laugh. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was there was there were two moments. I felt like she had one of those moments. And then Margaret had one of those moments later with the father where it was just like it was just the holding the moment that everybody applauded for. Yes. Yes. Oh, Roy. I love those Roy scenes. We're going to break it down. But yeah. Here we are. This is this is my birthday week. It's my birthday choice. Continuing from last week, uh, I do have to say before we get into it, I apologize for the audio quality last week. I don't know what happened. I mean, I know you've been through it, Colin. I've been through it. Sometimes these things just happen. But at least there was a track, and it wasn't just yeah. like terrible. But it was terrible. So apologies to everyone. But I, you know, I think I'm back on track this week. Let's hope. Well, you know, what you know, what can he say? It was I think it was apropos for Queen Bees. It was it was as if a couple of old ladies were were doing a podcast. I feel like it it <laughs> would know, be this. But it was you your know? birthday week. It was oh. the Jill Zarin episode, you know? It's such high expectations. I know. I know. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you you got to just take a page from my friend Jill's book. You got to just have a Diet Coke and you know, send people to jillzarin.com. Yeah, I was just if you like it that much, yeah. go to jillzarin.com. And uh, Allie, she explained. Allie, what do they what do they got Allie? They uh what do they call them? <laughs> the things you put the put the drinks in to the go. Cups. The cups, the tumblers cuz I know Colin. Tumblers. I know cuz I know I know you love Diet Coke as much as I do. I mean, that's the moment that I just was like I have never felt more seen by a human being <laughs> than when Jill yes. Zarin Somehow knew we both love Diet Coke. And for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, this oh, is yeah. a benefit of becoming a best supporting uh, of BS Atreon and, and joining us on Patreon because last week uh, I received a very, very special cameo from a very, very special best supporting housewife. And we listened to it live reaction on the best supporting yeah. after show. So if you want to hear that, it's at patreon.com slash BSA pod. If you don't mind the yeah, native ad. <laughs> <laughs> Would you believe it, girls? We have a Patreon. Would you believe it, uh, girls? We've got a Patreon. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I cannot do the Ramona. I can't it, do it. The, the key it like is, hurts my voice. If you start with a W sound and then it's like, it's like you're just saying, what, 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 what? <laughs> It's so good. I was going to say I forgot to post the actual uh, cameo, so I will do that this week. Uh, I oh, was going to sure. post it, but, uh, you know, all in due time. But, yes, it was it was a great time last week. And this week we are doing what I wanted to do last year. And I think I can't remember what we did last year instead. Wow. Why am I blanking on that? I don't either. For my birthday episode. Well, yeah. What did we? I don't know. Yeah, what it doesn't do matter. For birthdays? Well, we can look. We can look it up later, maybe. And yeah, uh, the important I don't thing feel like is scrolling. Yeah, the important thing is we figured out this year that you know it's birthday girl's choice, and so last week I chose something that I had absolutely no emotional connection to whatsoever. I rolled the dice on a little movie called Queen Bees, starring. Uh, a, a queen bee herself, a, a frequent topic on this podcast, not only from Pieces of a Woman and The Exorcist, but I forgot the last picture show 
Ellen Burstyn. We've been talking about this woman forever. Uh, and so she's a four-time topic in, you know, in Queen Bees. But this week, we're talking about something that you care about just a little bit more than silly old Queen Bees. <laughs> yes. And I, I did look up while you were recapping. We did Le'Veon Rose last year for my birthday. Oh, of course. Now, were you able to see what we did the week before? What did I make us do last year? Uh, the Bad Seed. That was your birthday choice. Oh, oh, that makes me feel so good. Uh, yeah. All these social obligations, if you know, if you get you know what, what I mean. What uh, yeah, sometimes Keon quotes that around the house. It really stuck with him. Oh, that makes me happy. What a what a yeah. what a birthday gift. Ugh. I know, I know. But um this year we're doing the light in the piazza, and this is the Lincoln Center performance that I I I actually didn't look this week to see if it was back up on YouTube. It was for the longest time. And you know, best supporting Robbie Roselle sent it. He I think he sent it to me last year. Um and I saved it, you know, in my little Dropbox and, uh, you know, for a special day. And this week we're finally covering it. And I I can't wait. This is one of those episodes where it's going to be really hard for me to put in the words, like, how much I love this show and how beautiful this show is. Uh, you know, I'll do my best. But um, it's one of those, like, the West Side Story Rita Moreno episode. It's, it's going to be hard to articulate. But I'm up for the task. But... I guess I want to ask you, Colin, what were your initial thoughts slash takeaways of The Light in the Piazza? Well, as as listeners of this podcast may know, covering musicals on Best Supporting Podcast can be tricky business. It it's could a gamble. Be a, it's a gamble. Yeah. It could be a West Side Story, either the old one or the new one. It could be a come from away. Uh, you know, it could be a dance uh, at the school, it could be a balloon for a crying child. I don't know. That's right. uh, you know, you could, you know, you could be a shark, you could be a jet, you could be a Newfoundlander. I don't know. But the fact is, there are risks, and we know, and and we never know. It sometimes we we don't even talk about the musical that I think we're going to talk about, a la 2006 Company. What, what yes, we, that's right. Yeah, I know, we, right? What did we think we were? What was the other one we were supposed to do that week? Oh, it we was did? the humans. The, was the humans. The yeah. humans. So we got it mixed up. We got so yeah, musicals, tricky territory, blah blah blah. Point being, in comes Miss Piazza, and I I had really very little, you know, knowledge before this about this show. I knew that it took place in Italy. I knew that there was a mother and a daughter and uh, my daughter and I my knew daughter. <laughs> my daughter Sonia Morgan <laughs> Sonia as Morgan as Margaret <laughs> Oh my god uh, I thought I would watch Oh yeah. my god I'd watch that in a, in a second and of course yes. Sonia's daughter she doesn't want her daughter to be in the show so Avery would probably have to play uh, yes. the daughter or Tinsley yes. yeah but <laughs> so yes. I did not really know what I was getting into and I, you know, new musicals of the 21st century, I have just been like, oh, my God. Like, and like everything sounds like Glee, you know? And so That's true. this, this mature, lush, orchestral woman walks in, and I was like, oh, thank God. Oh, this is yeah. so refreshing and so beautiful. And I... And I mean the the story itself and and the approach to it is so not schmacky and so yeah. not over the top and so I don't know the things that I kind of that put me off about musicals I felt like at no point did I feel like why are they singing I was like no you have earned this world and I. I loved it. I really, I had no idea what was going to happen. I was so afraid it was going to be a tragedy. I was so afraid it wasn't going to end well. And I thought, oh, don't yeah. do this to her. I thought, is this going to be the Glass Menagerie, the musical? Is that what's going to happen here? Yes, there are notes of that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so oh, I was like, goodness. fuck. Which made me think, wow, that would actually be a really interesting musical adaptation of the Glass Menagerie. Um, yeah. Like, what would that look like? But I feel like it'd be... This was almost like if Laura and Amanda went to Italy, you know, if the gay brother left yep. and they somehow had enough money to, you know, take a trip to Italy. Oh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I There is so much about this show that 
it it I think it was like 2006, like the Tony Awards that season. Um, and it unfortunately, I mean, it, it it did win a lot with all things considered. Victoria Clark won a Tony for lead actress. Um, Kelly O'Hara, are you ready for this? She lost out to Sara Ramirez for Spam a lot. Oh, Che Diaz herself. Wow, hey, themselves. Excuse me, Sara Ramirez. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Che strikes rem- again. I know. I remember when Sarah won. I was like, "Who is who is this person?" Because I just, you know, I I'm in love with Kelly O'Hara, and and I think we talked briefly about, you know, back in my Sunday Pancakes days with Celia Keenan Bolger, yeah, which was one of my favorite new podcasts of 2021. I don't think she came back for season two quite yet. I don't. I think I'm still subscribed, but one of the first episodes was a sit down with Kelly O'Hara. And, you know, there's there's a lot to this story, but this short, I'll try to make it short, is that Kelly O'Hara initially played Franca, which is crazy to think now that you've seen it. Can you imagine her as Franca? Yeah, I was like, wait, who's the other blonde woman in the show? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it doesn't really add up. And Celia Keenan-Bolger, who, you know, we know from actually she was in The Glass Menagerie. She wanted a yeah. Tony for To Kill a Mockingbird. She came out of that couch. Um uh, and when also did you come out of a couch? Kinda, I thought that was in. Um, I thought you told me about that. Wasn't that in? Or maybe I just saw that like a behind the scenes Broadway thing. The way that the glass menagerie started is that she came out of the oh, couch. Oh God! Because I saw that production. Yes. And I'm maybe I'm getting my Tennessee Williams all misconstrued, but I someone came out of a couch. No, you're right. Sounds like you're a great right. way to enter. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I'm just <laughs> thinking of the big comfy couch. I think someone yes. did come out of a couch because I saw Celia Keenan-Bolger, uh, but then I saw the production after that with Sally Field when the actress was in a motorized wheelchair. And so I'm trying to like, you know, yes. uh, disconnect the two. But anyway, you were saying about Celia Keenan-Bolger and pancakes. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) pancakes. Yeah, just a big whirlwind. But she was originally cast in the role of Clara. And then when it would, uh, you know, for all of the out of town tryout stuff and the the workshop, and then when eventually it transferred to Broadway, Celia kind of she got the boot, really, there's no other way to say it. And uh, Kelly O'Hara was then recast in the role of Clara which she went on to, you know, be nominated for a Tony for it. But in the same season, it's so funny how things happen this way, too. She, Celia Keenan-Bolger, left the show and was recast. Uh, She just started, like, a little workshop of a little show called the Putnam County Spelling Bee and also got nominated in the same category as Kelly O'Hara that year. Both of them lost. I think that's the best way to do it, you know? Yeah, sure, Um, sure, is just have... uh have the one from spam a lot win that year i think that's, yes that seems like the safest choice yeah um so you know there's it's i feel like that would be a pretty traumatic experience being you know being cast in a show and then like forming these bonds and then all of a sudden just be like not even like demoted to the ensemble you know because there really isn't an ensemble in this show there is and there is not um but yeah, go on. It sounded like you were. Gonna oh say yeah, something. I was gonna say yeah. It's it's a it's a relatively small cast, and you know, <clears throat> basically in terms of like uh, roles for women in the show. Yeah, there's Margaret, there's Clara, there's Franca, and then there's the mother, and then yes. that's it. I think there's maybe some like you know, uh, background Just the tour guide. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's kind of like that, but I mean, it's a far fall from Clara to tour guide. It's yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's an interesting I mean, I, I listened to that episode because I think that was a, an assignment one week. And oh, yeah, I love how that conversation was like Celia would say something about like, well, you know, and then, of course, you know, blah, blah, and then Kelly would would be like, well, I mean, gosh, you know, you're just you're just so beautiful that I mean, what can yeah. I do? And so. I mean, it was just a lot of that. It was a lot of like very serious complimenting each other and a lot yes. of like tiptoe complimenting. And I was like, okay, you you're you two were still navigating a little this territory. A long way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty much like a they were working through some stuff yeah. on the air. So it was it was fascinating to hear that. Um and where else did I what else did I want to say? I was actually in this show, and this is the reason if I was not in the Lightning Piazza, I would have never met Amanda Kaczynski. Which is crazy Whoa. to think of. I know. That's because huge. Yeah, go yeah. on. So 
I was working in Bush Gardens, working at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. I can't remember what year it was, but I there were just like a few select group of us that would just like, you know, we were in our 20s and we're like, let's take the Chinatown bus up from Williamsburg to New York and just like go audition as much as we can. And it was terrible. It was, it reminded me of Sonia Morgan on that jitney. Oh, with the <laughs> glasses. <laughs> yeah. With the little CVS glasses and you know, the New York post. And she's like, wow, the jitney is so luxurious. Um, what I'll do to save a hundred bucks. Yeah. I know dogs like lapping up Aquafina on the yeah, floor. Right. Um, so, yeah, and one of those times I, I knew that I went up for the, this, uh, the audition for Light in the Piazza because I just was desperate to be in the show. But in all honesty, there is not a role for me in this show. Like, I could be Signor Naccarelli when I'm, like, 60, but, like, I... I just I'm not any of these characters. So I but I still wanted to be in it. I knew they like needed, you know, they needed a priest. They needed like yeah. townspeople. So I went and auditioned. I didn't really get a call back. I felt like the audition went well. And then I went, hopped back on the bus. There were like chickens on the bus on the way home uh, to Williamsburg. And then like four days later, I got the call. And I was like, yes, let's do it. So I was cast as, in the ensemble and also for this as the Signor Naccarelli understudy. And I was 24 years old. I was like, Jesus Christ. But I was like, wow. all right, I'll take it. Yeah. And thank God he never got sick or injured because I would have been a wreck. But um, but it kind of like, you know, I would love to play that role in like 20 years. It would be great. Wait, so you were in, where Where did this production happen? This was at the Broward Stage Door Theater in Coral Springs, Florida. Right. Um, which okay. was great. Yeah. So that, then, brought, that brought you to Florida. Yeah. Because yeah, we have still, because that does, still doesn't answer. Yeah, she's really, coming. She's coming. Not only is this, if, if it wasn't for the Light and Piazza, you wouldn't have met Amanda. We probably wouldn't be doing this episode right now. Because I know. of all the things that happened after. So continue. Yes, it's wild. So I, <laughs> so I, I went down there for like two months to do the show. And they were doing the Music Man right after the Light and the Piazza. Um, but I was, I had signed a contract to go back to work at Bush Gardens for like a whole year. And at that point, like, you know, steady work, I will never, ever like poo poo, like cruise ship work or, uh, like theme park work because it's solid. Like you, you get a whole year of work. It's not like theater where you could work for like two weeks. You could work for four months. You could work for eight months and then you're done. You know, it's, I, I, and it was kind of w the best option for me at the time. And they I didn't so I didn't audition for the music man because I was like, I don't need this. I'm going back to Bush Gardens. Yeah. And at the at the end of the <laughs> living the dream. And yeah. At the right. end of the run. Um, the Harold Hill, like understudy slash like, uh, you know, salesman number five and in, in the opening number, like dropped out of the music man and they needed someone to be in it. And they asked the stagehands and the stage manager, like behind the scenes, like, who would you want to stick around for the music man? Because without mentioning any, any names, there were there were some divas in the Light in the Piazza cast. Some people were not so kind to the mm. stagehands, which is, you know, be nice to just be be nice. OK, yeah, um, yeah, because so, it could get you. It could yeah. help you later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they came into the dressing room. They said, you know, uh, they pulled me outside and they're like, do you want to be in the music, man? I was like, um, yeah, all right. So I did it. And I turned down the entire contract at Bush Gardens wow. for two extra months of the music, man, where then I met Amanda Kaczynski and the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. No, yeah. I what I love about because, you know, you and Amanda have talked about your your Florida times and, you know, doing yes. the music, man and all that. And. Of course, I mean, I just, what I find the most fascinating is like, oh my God, you guys were in Florida? Like, I just love every human <laughs> detail of this story. And so like, without diverting us away from really the matter at hand, the, sure. the, the thing I want to know, it's kind of like if you, if you go out somewhere, it's like, well, what was, what was on the menu? What did you eat? What was the living situation? It was kind of cool. It was, the cast housing was like three... Um, I guess you'd call them apartments. They were just like one level, um, like all on the ground floor, I guess. They weren't stacked. And there were three different ones. And I think there were one, two, three bedrooms maybe in each of them. And like I had a roommate 
And I, I, um, that went for the light in the piazza. I was roommates with a guy who played, um, oh my God, uh, Giuseppe, um, uh, uh, Fabrizio's brother, right. the dancing one. Right. Um, and yeah. And then that's kind of what it was. And it was great. Like, cause I, it was my first professional show like ever really. Cause I went from college to just like putzing around for a bit to Bush gardens. And then I was like, I'll just audition for theater and see where it takes me. And, um, but I mean, some great restaurants, there was like a great Jewish deli slash restaurant called two J's. Ugh, they had the best stuffed cabbage I've ever had in my life. And the, the cookies, the rugula, it was divine and Ugh. old people everywhere. It was great. Yeah. You would have loved it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, I, I love your sort of Katie Clark success story that you went right from <laughs> yeah, school I know. to work. You, hardly. You were yeah. Hardly right? a waitress at all. And and so wait, now you said you had a roommate, and folks, I promise we'll really talk about light in the piazza soon. But if there were three bedrooms, were you six to an apartment? Yeah, let me think. So the guy who played Fabrizio had his own room, and then me and the guy who played Giuseppe room together, and then there was a room like in the front. I can't remember who lived in that room, but there were two guys. So five people in the apartment Jeez. and two bathrooms. But right. we had the on we had the ensuite bathroom, which was nice. That okay, was that's nice. That's pretty good. Yeah, you'd, you'd think all, Fabrizio yeah. would get it, you know. I know, and it all just kind of worked. I don't know. You know, we were all sort of young enough to be like, res- uh, there was not really like any bad apples in the cast, or at least in like my apartments. Like we all got along, and uh, it was great. So yeah. Now, where did Amanda live? Like, how far away did you guys live from each other? Yeah, so I was, if you call it like apartment number one, mm-hmm. she was in apartment number three. And really, it's like, it's like a stone's throw away. It yeah. really was like, just like row apartments. Wow. So, I mean, I remember like it was, yeah, I remember like the Music Man cast came and Amanda, <laughs> when I first walked into the apartment, I like met Amanda and I met her roommate, Elise, um, who played Zanita Shin. And Amanda had a cat blanket on her bed. <laughs> It's like, well, like this is those... going to work out perfectly. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, who are you? Mm. Uh, and it was great. And the rest is history. So, uh, yeah, from yeah. from Florida to Florence. Yeah, from Florida to Florence. How do you like that? So uh, so I guess that does answer my, my first question of, like, how, how did Light in the Piazza come into your life? But I guess yeah. my follow-up question would be, like, because what is it about this? Like, yeah, what was the what's the like, oh, this is my this is my thing. Like what what buttons is this hitting for you? What gay whistle tones do you hear with this show? I mean, for me, it is all about Margaret Johnson and like the songs that she gets to sing and Victoria Clark. I mean, amongst like everything, like the lighting design for this show, the costuming, like the staging, the set design like the orchestrations, the, the score, the performances, it really, it just checks so many of like my boxes off that I want to see and like the style that I want to see. Like I, it looks like a Fellini movie. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's so beautiful to watch. And I remember when I first, cause it was 2006 uh, when this came out and I was, I started college in 2004. So I was like a sophomore, junior-ish, uh, whatever. And I just remember listening to the score and I was like, wow, this is this is exactly the type of show that I I wish there were more of these shows because Mm -hmm. there are operas in English. But like at the end of the day, you can tell there's a difference between an opera in English and then like a musical like it's because this isn't really like a contemporary show. It's written. It's it's set in the 50s, but it has a contemporary sort of storyline. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, to, to word that. Yeah, I mean, I think even the even the idea of it like being set in the fifties and based on a book from nineteen sixty, like to me, yeah, that still feels pretty modern. Like in yeah. in some ways, like the, a sort of you know later half twentieth century. I feel like it, to me that still feels like oh yeah. I mean, in some ways, I actually was like oh this is refreshingly modern. It's not not there's any digs against like oh it's a mother and daughter in the nineteen. 19- 20s i don't know um i liked that there was kind of like an like an edge of kind of the you know modern times we're familiar with and yet there's also elements of this that feel like yeah an opera from the 1800s it's a really seamless mix 
Yeah, it's it's like a, a mix between like it's eighty five percent classical voice and like fifteen percent like contemporary musical theater in a way too, because like you really have to be like a trained musician. This isn't something where like because this music is hard, and <clears throat> and granted. I didn't have to sing anything crazy in the show, but like there's so much mixed meter and Adam Gettle is just like, I know that he has like, he's like one of those guys that like he did something shitty and like we're all supposed to hate him. And and I'm not excusing him for that too. It's just like, you know, how we always talk about just separating the art from the artist. He's, yeah. He's the, he's the grandson of Richard Rogers. So he has this like in his blood, but like I... I could talk about this score for days. I just like, even from like, it has an overture and like even from the very beginning, like once you hear that like harp, it sounds like light. It sounds like light pouring into a room. And even like Franca's song, like, um, which like, granted I used to like, I still kind of skip the one where she's like with Clara. Oh, sure. Like, the yeah. joy you feel. Yeah. Um, but like the way that it's like, I think it's written in like five, eight or something like that. And it's just, it's, which is not like a normal meter for music because she's like, she's not good at speaking English. So her, the mute, like the way that she sings is going to be also sort of like broken and disjointed because it's not, it's not a toe tapper at the same time either. None of this really is like, there's not a song that you walk out saying like, Oh, I just really love that one song, you know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had that feeling of like, okay, none of the music, nothing jumped out to me as like, oh, that's that's gonna be the satisfied of this of this cast album, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? Yes, um, but like overall, you know, the you know there were sort of an emotional landscape within that I was happy to traverse, mm-hmm. but there was nowhere that I felt like, oh, that's the place to stop, and uh, yeah. but I mean, I think what the show does really well as well, and at first I was like, wait a minute. Do I, are there subtitles I should be turning on? Is that like, yeah, it, and I, cause the, the, what we saw this like PBS, like live at Lincoln square production performance, you know, there's a, during the intermission, there's kind of a featurette with like the cast and the writer and the composer. And, um, and the one thing that the, um, I guess the composer talked about, I guess, I think it was Adam Gettle. I think he talked about like, you know, having Italian characters in the play, like, are you going to, or the show, are you going to do the stereotypical thing and just have them speak English in an Italian accent or Mm -hmm. like basically recreate the experience that Clara and Margaret are having of like, you don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're saying. You're, You're paying attention to body language and certain expressions and certain words that jump out. And it was like, it was, and I thought that was a real balancing act, particularly like that first scene in the father's, uh, shop where like it's yes. just Giuseppe and the, and the father and and uh, Fabrizio was that his name for my saying it Fabrizio right? yeah, Fabrizio yeah. Uh, and you're like oh at no point are they gonna are they gonna dumb this down for me and I think that's why that joke later from the mother in Act Two of like I don't speak English but I need you to know what's going on I thought was just genius I was just yeah. oh you have you. You didn't cut it short. You didn't take the easy way out. You found a really clever way to do it. Yeah. I mean, it it reminds me of, you know, almost like the remake of West Side Story. Like, let us Mm. come to the language. And it's also at some point, you know, even in West Side Story and even in this show, like you really don't know what they're saying. Yeah. Um, and in some in some cases, it's it's just enough, and there's like a little sprinkling of English or something like that, and that might might be played for a laugh. But of course, I mean that whole Fabrizio number is just like almost like an aria, and I'm so, I'm I, this is no shade against Matthew Morrison who originated the role of Fabrizio. You know Matthew from Glee, of course, Mr. Shu, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, who I, I think he does a great job. Like obviously he's on the recording, but I'm really glad you saw Aaron Lazar because I I prefer him over Matthew Morrison. I think he's first of all he's very easy on the eyes. Oh, um, he's got that big old nose. I could just yes, bite you love into a nose. like yes. a chocolate <laughs> Easter bunny. You know. <laughs> Oh, bite like an ear. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, and but there's something about him that is just like so. I don't know, like perfectly cast, and he's he's someone who has worked and a lot a lot in Broadway since too. But the other uh, difference is Katie Clark was not 
the original, uh, you know, and we, we just went on about Kelly O'Hara too, but I think Kelly O'Hara was like, I feel like she was doing like the pajama game or something, which I'm yes. like, oh, I'm like, couldn't you get out for one day and do this? Because that's that's really the true tragedy. And it's no shade against Katie. I like a lot of what she does. But if I was to be really like sort of like that bitchy gay is just that like I missed, I think because Katie Rose Clark is, is she was also she played Glinda in Wicked as well. She's such a Glinda. Um, mm. And I think she she's more of a Glinda and less of a Clara. But then you get that story about how she was just kind of thrown into it. So you do have to give her uh, some credit. I think all the acting was great. I just really missed that like loftiness and like warmth in her high notes. At times she gets like a little mousy uh, where mm-hmm. Kelly O'Hara just kind of like opens up and it's just like this beautiful soprano-y goodness that I just, you know, it's it's what I want in this role. So I, but with all that being said, she, she still is really great in the show, Katie Rose Clark. Yeah, for a lot of it, until I like did some Googling, I thought it was Kelly O'Hara because I'd actually never really seen Kelly O'Hara, like a kind of, she's sort of this like punchline in my head of like boring Broadway singer, but it's based on <laughs> boring nothing. beige. Yeah. That's what Amanda says. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Just like very, just like, oh God, Kelly O'Hara. Oh my God. It's just like the elevator music of Broadway singers. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, this is Kelly O'Hara. Wow. She's really charming and, and, mm-hmm. and so young. And, and then I was like, oh, this is not Kelly O'Hara. And yeah. And actually, I mean, I thought Katie Clark was great, but I didn't have that sort of other point of reference. But I could see how Celia Keenan-Bolger would be perfect in this role. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I almost feel like the heartbreak of Clara might come out even more, maybe because I saw her play Laura Wingfield. Like, I could see her bringing that same, you know, vulnerability and that same kind of heartbreak to Clara. So, um, because I guess my impression with like again, I limited understanding, and and this was back in like two thousand six. But when I think of like Kelly O'Hara, I always think of her as like she's like a Megan Kelly to me. She's like a woman, you know what I mean? Like she's a sure. So when I think of her playing Clara, I'm like, but isn't she too much of like a a a put together woman? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of it's an interesting conversation to have because. There is so much of me that would love to see Celia Keenan Bolger in this role because of all the reasons you just said. I, I I would love to hear her sing it, and I do think that there is that fragility to Celia Keenan Bolger that might not be there, or at least to the same de- same degree. But we'll never know because we it's not documented. I didn't see the light in the piazza, but like I I trust that it's there. There are clips. I, I almost I, I should have sent it to you, but I couldn't find the one that I wanted. There's a there's a clip of Kelly O'Hara singing the song The Light in the Piazza. And even just a little taste of that is enough for me to be like, oh yeah, this she is she's great. But with Clara, it's a it's an interesting role because she is like she's handicapped in quotes, but she looks like a beautiful American girl. So I think with like Celia Keenan Bolger, who is very beautiful in her own way, is not the same, doesn't look the same as Kelly O'Hara. You know, the Katie Rose, I think Mm -hmm. Katie Rose Clark is probably even a little bit more conventionally attractive than Kelly O'Hara as well, too. So it's it's interesting. It's like, why not go for someone who might look a little bit different? But you also need her to be beautiful enough for Fabrizio to fall in love with her at the same time. Not that right. he couldn't fall in love with Celia Keenan Bolger. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it it's kind of like it, I think if in future productions, I feel like there's so many things you could do with the character of Clara in terms yes. of casting, in terms of like you know I don't know. I mean because uh, I guess the idea is like what he saw in her was something beyond you know anything obvious. It was you know I'm assuming he saw her. You know well he saw her milk. No not that. Um, she's like, what about my milk? I mean, that was so <laughs> funny when he's like, yes, your milk. And yes. she like looks at her breasts. Um, yes. My milk. <laughs> my milk. Hannah Montana. It's <laughs> uh, good. So, I mean, you know, I, I realize we're a half hour in and haven't even explained. For anyone who doesn't know yeah. what The Light in the Piazza is about, uh, it is based on this book from 1960, a novella, if you will. 
Uh, we love something based on a novella. We I really love a novella. It's the that's like a true sign of like this is going to be good. Yeah, it's the 70, 72 minute movie of books. You know what I mean? Yes. It's like yes. oh, this is this is going to be one hundred and twenty pages. Bing bang boom. Yeah, the power of the dog, like Brokeback Mountain. Like it's yeah, mm-hmm. it's guaranteed to be great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it's this little novella from nineteen sixty, and uh, it's about yeah this uh, this woman. Uh, Margaret and her daughter Clara from Winston-Salem, New uh, North Carolina, which I looked this up to make sure because Margaret sounded exactly like Celia oh, Weston in Junebug. Dialect, yes, uh-huh. yeah, and it's the same thing because Junebug was set in North Carolina and was filmed in Winston-Salem. So yes, so just to just throw some roses early at Victoria Clark, but also throw some roses at Celia Weston. The two of them getting the North Carolina dialect down. Oh, yes. And it's actually like, so the story itself, I was kind of surprised. It's like strangely simple. It's just, you know, uh, Fabrizio, this Italian guy, sees Clara in the piazza and falls in love with her. But of course, Clara's mother, Margaret, is very protective of her because of, you know, she had a traumatic injury as a child. She got kicked by a horse, um, which is yes. such a Tennessee Williams kind of injury, you know. Yes, um, it totally is. And so you're, it's kind of like, oh, no, this is going to be like the bridges of Madison County or something. This is they're, they're going to be kept apart, you know. And sure. uh but then, you know, they fall in love. And then, you know, eventually we we meet Fabrizio's family and and. Um, I feel like it's, you know, at first you think it's really like the mother is being kind of like, yeah, this Amanda Wingfield kind of like monster who's also just trying to be overprotective. But then, you know, it becomes for her a matter of like letting her daughter fall in love with Fabrizio is also about like not letting her husband control everything and, you know. Um, yeah, because he's really, you know, so it's really, I think what makes this, this musical so interesting is that this is, yes, it's a love story between Clara and Fabrizio, but it's really about Margaret's own awakening as this middle-aged woman finally on her tree, her dream vacation in Italy. Um, and you know, it, it's not the dream vacation she was, you know, dreaming of, but, uh, it, it kind of by the end you know, reveals potentially to be a long-term vacation. I, I don't know if Cla- if Margaret's coming home. Yeah. I, even the very beginning of the show when, you know, she walks out and everyone claps and Clara's just like singing an ah vowel for like 70 minutes yeah. in the back. I just love the, I, I love that opening line of what happened here? <laughs> the way she like, this sing-songy sort of like the voice work that she does. Like Victoria Clark, like she can get like, guttural and like low and growly but like she also had like the lilt the lilt the, the one with lilt. the lilt oh my god <laughs> she had such lilt i mean she was uh i mean that's something the like you know i love a raspy voiced actress but i love yeah an Ellen Burstyn lilt. I love a Victoria Clark lilt. You know, I like yeah, a those, voice. like little red lips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I love something, a, a voice that does that. Uh, so Victoria Clark, so tell me about her because I, I, yeah, I was like, wow, you, this is what I want from a musical is what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I think the who is she? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, no, you who is you she? Go. You who go would who? play her. Yeah, who would play her? I mean, Celia Weston would play her. Yeah, it's yes, just, exactly. Really, there's so many similarities. Like just the role of Margaret Johnson. If there was ever like a movie version of The Light in the Piazza without music, maybe. Mm. Um, b- before The Light in the Piazza, I I feel like she was sort of like a Broadway staple. I know that she. Um, I think the character is Alice Bean in Titanic. Something with the Bean. Um, she had this like fast pattery sort of song. Um, in Titanic, uh, you know, and she, I feel, I feel for the longest time, and this maybe just might be a generalization. She was cast in like comedic roles. Mm-hmm. She was sort of that. That was like her forte, and uh, and then <clears throat> I think. I mean, I don't know who approached who, like as far as Adam Gettle, like finding Victoria Clark, but I, 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 I've listened to like interviews and I don't know if it was in that sort of that intermission thing, but she talks about like learning this music and also how it's sort of like intersected with her life at the moment too. She's like, what I wanted to say as an actress and what I wanted to say as a person and the music, she's like, it just felt so natural. She's like, even though this music is crazy, she's like, I get it. I got this. And just like, 
I love those like kind of stories because it just she is giving she is able to give us everything in this role I think it's one of the greatest like female musical theater roles of all time and I know that's hyperbolic to say but I really do feel like you have to be at the top of your game to play Margaret Johnson because you have to be funny you have to be dramatic and you also have to have like a killer voice like you can't fake this stuff yeah you get to sing through tears I mean that was I was so thrilled that I got to see singing through tears without watching Dear Evan Hansen that was a thrill (laughs) But I, you know, I think that moment in Act Two when she goes to confront his father, and she thinks that the father's objection is because of you know her yes. her handwriting and her mental state, whatever, and then he reveals that's because you know Clara is six years <laughs> older than Fabrizio, and she yes. hold it is this incredible. I yep. I clapped. I was like, that is what she did. It's a silent reaction. It's just to like. It's essentially the musical theater version of Amber Portwood's what? But like <laughs> yes. more amused. The lean. She leans on the, the counter. She, she like almost falls. Yeah. Ugh. She leans and it's just this like, oh, I mean, it's it's just, oh my God, it's so good. Um, there is, the only thing I can think of that it's similar to is there's a moment in the Golden Girls and I can't remember when it is, but it's some moment of like, Rose saying something to Blanche about like not knowing what it means to be a slut or something. And Blanche just has this look like, are you fucking kidding me? And yes, in this, I don't, it's one of those things. No one could tell her to do this. Like she had to create this moment. You could barely put it in the text, I think. And she just kills this, this nonverbal moment. The audience claps. It is so good. Yeah. It's one of my favorite sort of, it's there are moments too. like I will say this like even at the beginning of the show there are some like cutaways to the audience that are a little schlocky you know what I mean Mm. like there's one where Mm -hmm. like I feel like when they're in the Duomo and like she's like oh great yeah and then she looks to the audience it's like dong and her her face looks like that like crumpled emoji face you know what I mean oh sure because the the whole thing is kind of told as kind of a flashback from Margaret which yes which you know kind of going back to the that idea of like having um Signora Naccarelli speak English was kind of genius because we're having this story being told by one mother and so the the function the device the structure in the show to have a this woman narrating for us they then give it to this other mother in the show and I was like oh this ah oh, of course yeah, and I just they know but it it was interesting how uh yeah that th- throughout you could have even one of her songs, it was basically like the, the song where she was cry- singing through tears. It was basically singing to the audience as the narrator. Ugh, I just love, I, I love so many. I mean, I, I'm looking at her IBDB just right now, the Internet Broadway database. Did you mm. know about that? Did you know about the Internet Broadway? I know about database? her, but, you know, I don't. Uh, it's kind of like, did you grow up with a Nintendo or a Sega? I had a Nintendo, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. So she, after um, The Light in the Piazza, she was actually in Sister Act, the musical, mm-hmm. and she played Mother Superior, a.k.a. the, uh, oh my goodness, Maggie, Maggie Smith. Smith role. Yes, yes. And then she was also in the revival of uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. She played um, the fairy godmother. And then she was also in Gigi, which was like that very short-lived musical with like Vanessa Hutchins. So there's that. But she is, she's always sort of working. I mean, she she got her Tony and I, I, I do love the roles that she chooses now. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that something else comes her way sometime soon, you know, whenever Broadway opens. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, whenever whenever that happens. Um, and Broadway is open, I guess I should say, you know, but right. it's it's dicey. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, only one of the doors is working, you know? So, um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned before if there was a movie of Light in the Piazza. You know, there is a movie of Light in the Piazza. Yes, okay. I do know that, yeah. Have you I seen said it? that and I was like, no, I haven't. It's an older movie. Is it black and white even? I think it's in color, but it does have Olivia de Havilland of small private elevator fame <gasps> as, as listed here as Meg. Um and then George yeah, Hamilton, uh, known for his tan, as Fabrizio. And uh, this actress named Yvette Mimieux, who just died a few weeks ago, played Clara. Oh. 
And okay. uh, fun little connection: the who played the father, uh, Mr. Johnson, was the actor's name is Barry Sullivan, and he played the dying husband in Cause for Alarm. Whoa! Yeah. So how do you like that? You know, little connection. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. All so right. the movie's out there. I mean, it's. I don't think it's a musical, but you know. Yeah, it's it's not. But yeah. um, yeah. I um, there was something else about Victoria Clark. I mean, one of my there's so many moments here to really it's without going like song to song. But I, the first time we really see because I I really think the book of this musical is really good. It's written by Craig Lucas. I think like, you know, the sign of a true book or like a really, really great book for a musical is like, can you take the music out of it and still have some structure to it and actually connect the dots? And I feel like it succeeds with that. Like these scenes are really well written, especially between Margaret and Roy. Talk about like, non-verbal but also verbal like just like you can you can tell everything about their relationship in that first phone call and it's just like oh fuck roy sucks yeah he's kind of the um you know kind of like the <clears throat> the king in in hamilton like roy's scenes are just on the phone you know it's just, i mean yeah. you know he's not alone on the stage but yeah he yes he just has two intense phone calls i was honestly as the as the show was kind of wrapping up and it was like okay it looks like you know uh Fabrizio's father, you know, they they took a walk. It looks like he's yes. going to reconsider. We'll talk about that scene. We'll talk too, about yeah. that. And so I was like, okay, it looks like this is all going to work out. And then I thought, oh man, Roy's going to somehow show up at the end and he's going to step in the way of this. But I thought, mm-hmm. how is he going to know where the wedding is? He doesn't have like the Google tracker on their phone. So, yeah. you know, so I liked that, you know, uh, by the end of this, you know, Spoiler alert, indeed, Clara and Fabrizio do end up getting married. You know, we don't, you know, it's the the end of the show is, is Margaret, you know, dashing off to join the wedding. And, Mm. uh, but what I like is that that doesn't mean that it's happily ever after, you know, it's like, yeah, they, at some point they still have to deal with Roy, you know, like at some point they still have to navigate another outburst where she smashes a vase. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I think it's really lovely that the family accepts her and there's almost something kind of funny of like, you know, well, she's having this childish outburst, but they're like, hey, we're Italian, you know, she's emotional, you know, like I love that, like, it doesn't even register to this family that she's being, I mean, I, I know it registers, but it feels like they don't even notice her being ridiculous because they're just like, hey, I get mad. And so, like, <laughs> even though there's a sense they love her for who she is, I still feel like, well, no, you're... This is not happily ever after. This is just like, you know, happily than we were before. Yeah, I could easily see someone. Ooh, did you hear my stomach? It was like, Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. That I have up. something to say. <laughs> I can easily see someone watching this show and watching Fable, which is Margaret's last song, which, oh my God, I just love that song so much. And then like it, it ends and someone's saying like, oh, it ends there. Like, oh, that's a jip. But like it does end the way that you, you know, the traditional like guy gets the girl and they get married. But, it, you know, it's it's also through the lens of like you, we were talking about before, like what Fable that song is packing and like what her allowing Clara to marry Fabrizio, it says, and her letting go of her marriage that has been over you know, that whole, I was, uh, that conversation, I was starting this conversation to talk about um, Dividing Day, which is one of my favorite songs. Her, like, smoking that cigarette on the bed, just, like, all slinky. It is so well-timed, and I just love that the bassoon is, like, the star of the show in that song, because the bassoon is, like, rarely featured. It's, like, it's such a solitary, like, lonely instrument, so I just thought that mm. was, like, genius to have that be at the forefront of a song that's all about, you know, a marriage crumbling and feeling alone at the same time. I, ugh, ugh. But I love know, that song. Can you imagine though, if if this was like more of a a more modern production and there was like a keyboard and a guitar and drums? Can you imagine if there was like the modern pop musical approach to Light in the Piazza? Sure. I mean, there would probably be like some sort of current like a, a version of a current italian pop song it would be like diana you know what i mean like i just feel like <laughs> yeah because i think about a musical like diana 
without i mean i haven't even seen it but i did see a, sure. a, one of the numbers you know when it was kind of going viral um like a variant and i uh-huh. uh and it was all pop rock but i thought you know a story about princess diana a musical about princess diana i could see it in another world being given this kind of lush orchestration and this kind of like lush tone yeah and it's and i think it's like i would like so many more musicals if they approach things like this where it was like no instead of a you know a plaintive bass guitar let's get a bassoon in there you know (laughs) yeah it's like really what's needed for the show is like a piano like a cello and a bassoon (laughs) you know it's 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 like a chamber opera it's a small chamber piece and it is like let it be known, I should have said this at the beginning too, but like this is the epitome of like a prestige, snooty musical. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like when they panned to the audience at the very beginning, it was just like a sea of white people. I get it. Like I know that this is also not for everyone, but at the same time, I I really love everything about it. And I think like maybe people's aversion to it is that it is too classical, um, or maybe it's like sometimes people don't know what to do with it. And I, it didn't win best musical at the Tonys. Spamalot unfortunately beat it. And I like threw my TV across oh. the room, but that's what happens. You know, it's like the year that ragtime came out the same year as the Lion King. It's like, right, right. it's like, the, it's like this both monumental musicals and like each of them won Tony awards for different things separately, but like it should have went to ragtime, but I know the Lion King was, you know, the Lion King was a moment. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I feel like, you know, what this makes me think of is, you know, when we have a, particularly with like Best Actress, who we think should win, and then who actually yeah, wins, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's just like, well, no, but if, but she would have won if so-and-so wasn't in the race this year, you know, which I'm just so afraid, you know who, being the you-know-what, might I be know. the, you know, uh, might be the Lion King of this year's, you know, I mean, I don't even know who they would beat out, who so-and-so would beat out in the Best Actress race. Uh, what would you change about the show, if anything? What would you add to it? it is there anything you feel Ooh. like, here's what I would do differently with it in casting, oh, man. approach, whatever? What would you do differently? Oh, that's such an interesting question because I feel like so much of this show is like perfect to me. Mm-hmm. I I don't know, honestly. I'm trying to think about that. Like, I there was some there was like a TikTok a long time ago, and by a long time ago, probably like last year that I saw. It was like, um, this is the dream casting I need to see for the Margaret and Clara. And Margaret, um, they cast as uh, Audra McDonald, and then there was like another like young black musical theater performer who would have been perfect and I can't remember who it was but like I would love to see that I would love to see like the how that plays and because it really could be anyone any race coming over to Italy you know what I mean it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be a white I guess diversity is what I'm talking about like it's a white show it is there's no mistake about it and it makes you wonder I mean like the idea of there being like if there were any updates to the script, it makes me think about in act two, like that could be Margaret's concern that like, you know, uh, they don't want her marrying Fabrizio because of the racial difference. And, and it's not that either, you know, it's like, I, I could see that being a a way to update. This is like, what would happen if there was, if you kept the same time period, but there was like an added racial narrative there. Like, I know there's some people that are, you know, uh, they want things to not change and they, that people are frustrated with, you know, the yeah. racial lens on a lot of shows and casting now. But I uh, I think that they can just get a Broadway HD subscription and watch old productions of uh, Miss Saigon full of white people. I think there are solutions to that. But, I, you know, I yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess if you wanted to update the white in the piazza, <laughs> Ooh, you could change there the we casting. Go. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, that was sitting in front of us the whole time. I know the whole time it was just like, would you please just make the pun? Um, yes, the, I, you know, I, I there's not much that I, I casting is the only thing I would change only because I'd be interested in, for example, Celia Keenan Bolger. But like yeah. the set, I think you know, on purpose is like fairly sparse and like the scene transitions and whatnot are incredible. <clears throat> there's yes, one moment where the beautiful. priest is wheeling the like 
prayer candles and the floor yes. is closing up and like it's all perfectly yes. choreographed or he wheels over it just it's fully closed um but i wouldn't hate the idea of seeing like a staging of this where it's like oh my god what like opulent staging what sunset boulevard sure. staging we have yes. you know yeah some cobblestones like some real mm-hmm. texture i i do get that i i think there's also it's hard because I don't I don't want to change anything. I I like those set changes. Like I dream about them. They're so beautiful. Like the vast, like especially like the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center. It is just like it's so mammoth, or just it feels bigger. Even when I'm watching it on my laptop, you know, or some on like my screen, my phone, even it just feels like it's the perfect venue for this type of show. But yeah, why not make it make it more intimate? Uh, because mm. it is, in in theory, like a smaller show. It's not a big cast. Like, uh, you know, I was in the, you know, when I wasn't, I was in the ensemble. I played a, I played the waiter <laughs> in oh, the okay. waiter scene. I remember him. So, you know. Yeah. And um, that was pretty much it. And other than that, I had like seven costume changes. It was actually pretty crazy. But Oh, my God. Um, and my costumes were great. Like the pastel colors, like just, I, I. I love everything about the costume design for this show. I feel like it won for best costume design. In my mind, it did, even if it didn't. Right. Um, in your awards. But in your early yeah, in my, Westons. Yeah, the yeah. Westons. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's just so much about uh, the show that I already kind of love. I And I remember something, because I remember even learning the role of Signor Naccarelli, too. I never... I, I feel like I was just too young or, like... The scene, the song is called Let's Walk, and it mm-hmm. is it is the most boring song, I will say. Like, it's it's just, but it, there's so much more underneath the surface of it, too. It's, it's hard because they're just kind of circling, but it's also like a negotiation, and it's also like her being flirtatious. And then there's that kiss. What did you think of the kiss, Colin? I mean, I... I thought, boy, you guys are really throwing in a wrench, you know, just as we're yeah. getting to the, you know, just as my popcorn's getting empty. Now you're throwing in a new, new, new wrench here. But, you know, there there is a suggestion, I think, you know, in uh, Senora's song in Act Two, like being suspicious of her husband cheating. And so we kind of yes. already know that he is, a you know, a bit of a philanderer. And I, I think it's one of those things that, like, if I were to change or if I were to do it and change, not because I think it needs to be changed, but if I were to Mm -hmm. play with this at all is watching this and not really knowing what was going to happen. I was wondering if there were going to be these parallel love stories between, uh, senior Mm -hmm. and Margaret and Clara and Fabrizio and, or just like, you know, parallel kind of bonds, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like if that if there was more of that, I could see this kiss happening much earlier in the show because I think it, what's interesting is it's like, okay, well, in the next scene, then she marries this guy's son, and now that kiss is between you and it's unresolved. And I love that. Yeah. I think yes. that's – now that I'm saying that, actually, oh, my God, no, keep that. That's brilliant. That we know that that happens, and we don't know how you guys are going to resolve it. I – something more straightforward would have this kiss happen towards the beginning of act two and then have them have to talk about it towards the end of act two and resolve it before the wedding, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so much packed into that kiss because I feel like in some crazy way that like Margaret was willing to sleep with him in order for him to change his mind. Mm. And that there's also a, I don't know. There's like a reluctancy there with him because the way that he pulls it, like, I feel like I can't remember it either. Like he pulls away first and like, he looks at her and like sort of debates like, cause I think they're at their hotel. I honestly think like, yeah. they, you don't mm-hmm. see it, but like, she's like, well, here I am. And it's sort of that good night kiss. And it's almost like, do you want to come up? Because I will do anything for this wedding to work. Even though at that point, like I said, it's just it's just the flirty walk to the hotel that song is. Yeah. And there's really not much a lot, but like it it, it kind of has to happen and kind of like you could cut that song very easily, but at the same time, it serves its purpose because it, it gets them to the hotel. It it establishes a little bit of flirtation the way that they're walking in circles. Um but I think Signor Naccarelli kind of decides he's like I see I see what you're offering me here. 
but I'm I'm going to I'm going to politely say no. And that's my interpretation of it. I don't know if you thought that at all or if it was like what did you think? I didn't know what to expect because then when it happened, I was like, well, shit, I guess we're not done yeah, yet. I guess it's a big is, one. Yeah. yeah. And then it was like, then, you know, a few minutes later, I was like, oh, I think we're, I think we're done here. Uh, yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah, I think now I kind of love the idea that it's, it's, there are a lot of things that are unresolved by the end. And like yeah. the way that this isn't just like a straightforward kind of romantic soap opera is that like, the story really just begins at the end, you know, because it really is the yeah. question of like, is is Margaret going to stay in Italy? Is she going to go somewhere else? She clearly doesn't intend to go home. Um, obviously, Clara is going to stay there, but it, it seems to be the story is that it's time for Margaret to let go of Clara. So yeah. we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, to your point, the last number in the show it's not like a big group number of everyone singing, you know, and the last word is everyone holding the A in Piazza at the end, you know, um, <laughs> as like a big chandelier lowers, you know, yes, but exactly. uh, over a naked statue. Up. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so it is this very kind of like muted way of ending where it's like, oh, OK, so there's the, the there's no really cl- no climax. It's really like you're it's as if you're setting up an act three. Yeah, I mean. Oh gosh, that that song is so. It's like I wish like it was written in a male key where I could. I mean, I guess I could sing it, but it's like it's like there's so many times like I would just play this in my car and my voice would be like ragged by the end because I would just sing every all the parts. You know? Oh sure. I, tonight I would be playing all the parts. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's something about Margaret's. Um, oh man, it's gone. But. I think also it's like there's so much about like another great scene that I love is the like the fight scene between Margaret and Clara and Mm -hmm. the sort of it's like where Clara is the most like lucid I guess it's like where she kind of she fully understands herself and what's going on and what she wants and is able to articulate that and and not sort of do it in a childish way. It kind of reminds me of Tinsley or at least oh like that. Oh my God, like, yeah. The watch where Crappens, like she would play Clara. Um, oh, that's like, I, I don't want to go. Yeah. I love the idea of Dale and Tinsley in a one night only <gasps> production of The Light in the Piazza. That's <laughs> yes. what I would change. Oh my God. Um, oh yes. Um, I, I just... That whole scene is written so well and it's really it's like it ends with a slap and then it like and then the song starts. And the most beautiful thing about that song is that it's written in the key of C, which like if you're looking at it from like a nerdy music perspective, like there are no accidentals. There are no sharps or flats in the music, uh, like in the key of C, which makes perfect sense, like aligning with Clara's like where she is because there there's nothing in her way and it's the like i said it's it's the the most clear-headed thinking she has in the entire show and i just think it's so beautiful but in in the song the light in the piazza there are like because you can write a a song in a certain key but still have accidentals written into it as well too so there is this sort of like chaos and sort of uh you know ebb and flow that's going on within the song but you don't know it because it's like on the outside of it it's like in the perfect key of c and this whole this whole show ends with this like beautifully like crafted like the way that it's like spaced even on a piano it's like it's also the key of c it's so nerdy and stupid but i like i just i love it <laughs> i love every bit of it ugh i mean and that stuff i i i would not be able to hear the key of C, the key of D, the key of yeah, you know, but it's uh, yeah, the the key to the city. Uh, but that's great. <laughs> I mean, I um, yeah, the whole time I was just like, you know, I'm I'm thinking of like, oh man, if this was a musical in the '70s, they could get Madeline Kahn to play Margaret, you know. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I I'm glad to know that if you understood music, that there's like actual thought put into even the like architecture of the music. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It is just like a beautiful score. And that song, The Beauty Is, that Clara sings, the one where she touches like, the you know, uh-huh. yeah. uh, the, the penis. Um, I love that song a lot. I, I think that's that's like in my top five as well, too. I'm trying to think of any. I know we're nearing the end of the episode here, but um, any other songs that sort of stick out in my mind. But uh, I, I think one of my favorite moments where I always tear up at the end is 
where Clara says, like, I can't leave you. Mm -hmm. And then Margaret just says, yes, you can. And, like, it's so simple and so beautiful because it's, like, she's still... She's, like, still her mother, and but, like, she's giving her permission. And it, it does, like, she still, at the end of the day, does... You always care what your mom says, and you always sort of need that permission. But, like, with this and with their relationship, too, there's so much more packed into it. It's yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, it's so much about, like... It's such a bigger trust fall of like letting go yeah. and and not being there to make the decisions, but also as she says, not being the one to always tell Clara no. You know, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. That like I'm tired of having that role where I'm the one saying no. I'm the one who's you know, quote unquote, doing this in her best interest. But like, if this is what she wants, maybe this is what's in her best interest. You know, I mean, yeah, as she says she already knows how to speak Italian, so it's. I mean, yeah, I think that. I would love to see if, you know, in the tradition of movie musicals, I feel like that I could totally get together with a, a very on location, new musical version, a movie musical version of light in the piazza. Uh, I mean, it would be beautiful. I think you could really do some, you know, uh, and, and I don't even know who I would cast of like who. Yeah. I don't even know. Lord. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, you know, there's a, like, she would not be the one to cast, but there's like a Melissa Leo quality towards the beginning of like when Melissa Leo like cleans up and she's not like, yeah, girl. But when she goes to the Oscars, there's like a, a, at the beginning, I was like getting that, that vibe from her from, for Margaret. But I think Margaret is more of a, She's more of a, I don't know. I don't know who would play her now. Yeah, like a young Celia Weston. That's like a the young only Celia Weston. I, yeah. I can't get that out of my head. Yeah. I love the idea of a younger Kathy Bates. I kind oh, of love wow. that. I feel like that could be really interesting. Um, but yeah, that I don't know. Cool. That's, you know, uh, that's something to, you know, to fiddle with uh, as you as you embark yeah. in your new year of, of being 36. Are you 36 now? Or you yes, I'm turning 36. 36. Oh, my so goodness. Something to noodle in your 36th year is, is casting the imaginary new movie version of Light in the Piazza. Ugh, I can I can ponder upon that all day. I love yeah. this show. Ugh, I feel good. I feel like we've covered... Everything that I wanted to say, I, I could go on, but, um, you know, we got an after show to do. We do have an after show, and uh, and it's pretty important that we get to that after show because there's a little birthday surprise waiting in the after show. Whoa. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to get over there. But uh, first okay. things first, we got to get played off, which is happening <laughs> right now. Uh, so uh, before we, we, we saunter over to the Best Supporting After Show, uh, which is, of course, at patreon.com slash bsapod, where can folks find more of you? Uh, they can find more of me on my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa podcast. And you can follow me on Instagram at Nick Kachanov. How about you, Colin? Well, you can find me on uh, my other two podcasts, All Right, Mary, currently covering season 14 of Drag Race and... UK versus the world, which is which just started. Um, nice. You can find me on In the Details, a celebration of nuance, or you can find me on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at BS. Nope, best. Nope, I can't remember. <laughs> at BSA Pod, you got at it. At BSA yeah. Pod. Uh, so follow us there, and obviously you can also find us at Patreon.com slash bsa pod where if you are a bsa treon you will get access to the best supporting after show on friday which is going to be jam-packed with not only our best supporting assignments and bsas of the week and all so much more but as i said a very special surprise wow i can't wait i'm excited i hope your peepers are peeled uh can't well, wait. folks, I uh, I don't know what else to say. I gotta I gotta get the wrapping paper off this surprise before it jumps out and slaps me in the face. So uh, that, as they say, is that. <laughs> <laughs>